All right. Well, again, good morning, um, live in person and not on video. Um, before we start this morning uh, in on the message, um, I, I have I've had this like thing going on inside of me for a couple of weeks now, and uh, and I want to address it this morning. Um, it's it's a conversation that's happening in our country right now. Um, this is not. Uh, please do not read this as any sort of political statement. Um, about the Supreme Court hearings and the vote. Um, But sadly, I think this subject has been politicized, and I'm not certain how that happened, but I think it's happened. Um, And I I just want to make this statement at the beginning. It doesn't doesn't quite fit tightly with the message today, Um, but I want to just make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, I, I don't care what type of relationship it is. I don't care what gender it is. Um, sexual assault is abhorrent. Do we understand that? We don't stand for it. We don't protect it. We want to heal from it if it's happened. If you've been a victim, we are here. If you don't feel comfortable talking with me or anybody on our staff, we'll get you connected with someone that you do feel comfortable talking with. I just want to be completely clear about this so no one is confused about where we stand, okay? If you're hurting, we're here. And now for an awkward transition, okay? I really, I really wanted to say that. I've seen a lot of things online. Um, I've seen, I've, I've just heard conversation and it sickens me what some of the conversation is. Um, I want to be very clear where we stand on that. We're continuing Mark My Words today. So I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. But before we get to our main passage, which is verses 35 to 45, okay, in Mark chapter 10, that's that's kind of the main passage we're going to look at. I want to set the stage by looking at Jesus' words starting in verse 33. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. Okay, they're walking to Jerusalem. And there were other crowds of people following as well. All right, and Jesus took his disciples aside, just, just the 12 of them, by themselves. And he said this. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Jesus lays out here in some detail, not every detail, but in some detail, how he is going to suffer. Okay? I don't even want to think about what that would have been like. The mocking alone, the spitting on, the flogging, the beating, the crucifixion. Jesus is trying to let his disciples know, this is what's about to happen to me. This is important to see the interaction Jesus had with his disciples right before we get to the passage this morning. And so I want you to look at verse 35, okay? Verse 30, I'm going to have them on the screen this morning too. But verse 35 to 37 it doesn't, it doesn't say exactly what the time frame was between 
Jesus finishing in verse 34 and this happening in verse 35. But it says the word then, right? So it wasn't too long after Jesus had just told them all this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Anybody ever said that to Jesus? <laughs> we laugh, but we've said it to Jesus, haven't we? Maybe, maybe not in those exact words, but by our actions and in the prayers, things we ask for, we, we talk to Jesus like that. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. James and John had a desire for status. Okay? James and John had a desire for status. And again, it's easy in retrospect. We talk about this often. It's easy in retrospect to just bash the disciples, right? When we see things that they do, we're like, what are you, what are you doing? Stop it. Don't you see who you're with? Don't you understand? And in our lives, we tend to do very, very similar things. And we have the whole counsel of God's word to draw on. So it's easy to bash the disciples. Um, however, their Lord, their teacher, their leader had just finished telling them about all the suffering he was going to endure. And they said to him, hey, Jesus, that's cool and all. How about you give us what we want? Did they even hear what Jesus had just said? Jesus, I, I want this. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. I can hear them chanting, right? What do we want? Status and power. When do we want it? Now. They were walking along the road, holding signs, chanting. That, the Bible doesn't say that, but maybe they were. I don't know. But this seemed to be an ongoing discussion or argument with the disciples. Which one of us is the best? In the previous chapter in Mark 9, they had the exact same argument. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. All 12 of them sit down. Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Many of us do this. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes maybe it's an internal conversation in which we measure ourselves against those around us. I'm better than them. Did you see what I, did they see what I just did? Like we, we think like, look at me. Look at how important I am. Look what I did. Look at the talents I have. Some of us really crave having status or being in a position of authority because then people will admire us. That is the thought process that we go through. How many of you are that's nothing storytellers? You know what I mean by that? Somebody tells you a story and you say, that's nothing. Listen to this one. And you start talking about things that you did, right? We like to talk about ourselves. If you find yourself often in conversation saying, that's nothing, listen to this, you might like to talk about yourself. 
We're constantly looking to one-up people with our achievements and experiences. And to me, one of the most annoying traits, and I'm just going to say it like this, right? One of the most annoying traits is somebody that can't stop talking about themselves. I see some heads in agreement with me, right? They just can't stop talking about themselves and what they've done and what they've accomplished and how much they know and how smart they are. And But if I'm honest, I'm guilty of that at times. One of the worst feelings for me is that second of realization that I can't stop talking about myself. I listen to sports radio sometimes. I don't know if anybody else does. Now, in the grand scheme of things, right, sports is nothing of eternal significance. I enjoy it. But there's nothing that makes me change the station faster than when two people on sports radio start arguing about who is the best of all time at a certain position. I couldn't care less. It's not important to me. Let's just watch them and enjoy how good they are on the field or on the court. Let's just enjoy the abilities that God has given them without arguing who is the best. Why do we have to do that all the time? Maybe, it's a, maybe it's, for you it's a political thing. Are there, are there like fantasy senator drafts? I don't know. Does that, is that a thing? Okay. <laughs> You're trading Congress people for your team. I don't know. It's just a useless conversation, and yet I find myself thinking at times along those lines about myself, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Of course, Jesus has something to say about this request from James and John that they give in verse, uh, verses 35 to 37. As he does with most things, he presents a completely different viewpoint than what is expected. He's constantly trying to get the disciples and us to think in terms of holiness and godliness and eternity instead of how the world thinks. What does scripture say? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Transform your heart and your mind. He goes on here um, in 38. He says, he responds to them, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And of course, they said, we can, right? They're like, yeah, if that's what it takes to get to your right or your left, we can, whatever, we'll do it, sure. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. What does Jesus say here? Be about sacrifice, not self-glory. James or Jesus tells James and John, you have no idea what you're asking for. If you want to be on par with me, if you want to um, 
to be with me in glory, if you want to be um, exalted, if you want to have status, you're going to suffer, you're going to serve, and you're going to sacrifice. Which is really different than what we think of in our world as having status, isn't it? Jesus knew their fate. James would be the first of the disciples to be martyred for his faith. It is somewhat unclear how John died, but we know he was arrested for proclaiming Christ and he was exiled to live out his days on the island of Patmos. There's some evidence to suggest that they tried to murder John and he somehow escaped. But whatever the case is, he was not living a life of luxury being exiled on the island of Patmos. The metaphors of drinking the cup and being baptized with the baptism I am baptized with were both ancient metaphors for suffering and danger and disaster and even death. They would have understood it in those terms. They were not positive metaphors. And Jesus tells them, this is what will happen. And then he says, but it's not for me to decide where you'll end up in my kingdom. God the Father has prepared places in his kingdom for all who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus did not usurp the Father's authority here. He said, it's, it's, it's the Father. He's the one that decides those things. I am being obedient to the Father by being here, preparing to suffer and die so that I might ransom people for the kingdom. As we look at our Heavenly Father, as we look at our Savior and think about how He ransomed us through unthinkable suffering, it shouldn't matter who's great. But if we really honestly think about the reality of who we are as compared to who Christ is, it shouldn't matter to us about greatness and status and power. We've been invited and ransomed to be part of the family. I don't know how often we we maybe say, I don't know if we say that phrase exactly, but we think about Christ sacrificing and suffering for us. Do we really think about, like I, I think of my own life. I think of my past. I think of my thoughts I think of things that I've done in my past. And I, I, like we, are, we are worthy of... We're not worthy for Christ to do this to us according to his economy, according to his standard. We're not worthy. And yet he came and he died because of his great love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Scripture says. I want us us to let that sink in a little bit this morning as you think about yourself. Maybe some of you might even say something like, I don't understand how God could ever love me. you, You don't know what I've done in the past. The good news for us this morning, church, is that God knows. He knew before you did it. He knew who was going to reject him, who was going to accept him. He knew who would stumble. He knew who would fall and when they would stumble and fall. And he came and died anyway. 
for me, Jesus, <laughs> for me. And yet at times, many of us here, he came and he died and he suffered and he was flogged and we think, what can I get out of this? Just, um, what, what can Jesus do for me as if he has not done anything for us already? What can he give me? What status can I get? Am I going to sit next to James or John when I get to heaven on the right or left? Verse 41 says that the other disciples were indignant with James and John, which I think is really funny. What that means is they were just mad that James and John got there first because everybody was thinking it, right? They were arguing about who was the greatest. And now they're mad at James and John for getting to Jesus first. Jesus now pulls them together for another heart to heart. And we get to verse 42 in our passage. He knows their conversation. He knows their desires. He knows that they don't comprehend what it's like in God's kingdom. And he says this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Right? It doesn't mean, he doesn't say, you know that they they have authority if they want it. Or they're put in positions of authority. He says, they exercise the authority. They hold people down like this with power. And I love what he says here. Not so with you. That's what James and John wanted. They wanted prestige and status and power and riches. All those things that the world tells us we should be striving for. They wanted it. And many of us want it too. And Jesus says, not in my kingdom. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Service is true greatness. Power or status is not true greatness. Service is true greatness. Jesus turns their thinking upside down. It should turn ours upside down also. In God's kingdom, it is humility, love, serving, and sacrifice that is great. You want to strive for status? Stop thinking about yourself and think of other people. Do you want status? Serve and love other people well. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, he gave himself as the example. For even I, the son of God, didn't come to do this. I didn't come to do this so that people would serve me and give me everything that I want. And everything that I'm entitled to. He said, I came to serve and to love other people. And he already told him before how he was going to do that among many other things. 
he was going to suffer immensely so that an entire human race could have the opportunity for salvation and life. Not so with you. Jesus tells us we're not to operate as the world does. We see status and power in the world's economy and our sinful nature craves that status and power. However, we see here that humble service is a prerequisite for greatness in God's kingdom. It's not about aspiring to any type of leadership position or how much Bible you know, or how much power you have, or what others think of any status you may or may not have, or how much money you have. Jesus says, are you serving? That's greatness. Are you humble? Do you serve? Do you treat others with respect gentleness and love. And these might sound like um, kind of like cliche questions in the church. How many times do we hear about humility and service and love and compassion? But we need to keep asking them because all of us need to be reminded that God has called us to a higher and more holy standard of living than what our sinful nature always wants to do. He's called us to live exemplary lives through the power of his spirit that we might serve and love people well. Because that's greatness. We get sucked into the race of climbing corporate ladders and getting promotions and striving to be popular and rich and be the best. Jesus says that's not true greatness. Now, please don't hear, please do not hear this morning that having a position of earthly status is inherently wrong, okay? Having earthly authority of some kind is inherently wrong. Having earthly riches is inherently wrong, okay? That's not what I'm saying today. However, if that's the number one drive, or if that's the focus of your life, or if that's the passion that you have, is to just accumulate more and more popularity or status or power or riches. If that's the drive, Jesus would say you're not living for greatness. You're operating as the world operates. And this mandate is for everyone also, not just for those who might aspire to status or power. Right? Jesus here was um, kind of responding in response to a request for a certain position or certain status. Right, But in Galatians chapter 5, and I know Pastor Sam has this as the theme verse for our, our students this year. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters. Talking, he's talking to the whole church in Galatia. Right, Everybody. I don't care what uh, economic level they were at. I don't care who they were whether they wanted power or not. He's talking to everybody. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And what does it mean to indulge the flesh? Well, one thing that it means (laughs) is striving for status and power and riches, among many other things that we can indulge the flesh. 
Do not use your freedom to do those things, to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You think Paul drew from these words of Jesus that had been handed down when he wrote that? I do. I've heard it said that we are, we are free not to do what we want, but to do what we ought. We are free to do what we ought to do. And not like this, right? It's not Pastor Dave saying, you got to do this or else. It is looking at a Savior who died for us, who served us, who showed us the model of what it means to serve humbly. And in response saying, I trust you. I know you died for my sins. I know you ransomed me into your kingdom. I had no hope before the cross. I could not do enough to make up for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me, my sins, and you forgave me of my sins. And now in response, I'm going to submit my whole life to you. We sang it at the very beginning of service this morning. I lay me down. I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. Letting go of my pride, giving up all my rights, I will bring a sacrifice. And the sacrifices are lives. I'm going to show you a couple pictures. Um, our impact partners of the month are our hand-in-hand schools in uh, the Central African Republic. This is a picture of one of our schools. We support this school. Jean-Pierre, uh, he's the tall one, okay, in the back. Um, he's the teacher. This is at uh, a church in uh, Sakpa, right outside the capital city of Bangui in the Central African Republic. And uh, these are our children that have been orphaned, most of them because of the AIDS epidemic, right? They've been orphaned, and the church takes them in, teaches them, gives them food, and we sponsor this school. Jean-Pierre, um, in my opinion, is an example of somebody that serves well and humbly. This is another picture of another one of our schools. And the, the lady on the, on the left in the white dress, um, her name is Hortense. And uh, she has been a faithful teacher as well. For our other, this is, they're both in Sakpa. Okay, these schools are both in Sakpa, and so the money that we give goes to support these beautiful, beautiful kids. Um, who've probably suffered a lot more in their short lives than most of us have in our lives. But I love the fact that, that um, what we do here in the CAR, I love the fact that what we do through compassion in El Salvador, um, or I shouldn't say what we do, what we're involved with, right? It's God that's doing, this, doing the work. But I love the fact that all those things are done through local churches. And these kids come to the church to learn about the good news of Jesus Christ, to learn that, yes, they are earthly orphans, but they are not orphans because of God the Father. 
and because of Jesus Christ who paid the price that they may be in God's family for eternity. They care for and love these kids with passion. But I don't, um, I don't want to look on them this morning with, with pity, okay? What I want us to do is to be challenged by them. Jesus is not saying in this passage that you have to be poor in order to serve well. Paul is not saying it in his passage in Galatians. If you have a position of authority, that's fine. If you're very wealthy, that's fine. It's all about what you do with what you have. What is your mindset with the things that you are given in this life? Is your mindset to take this and try to accumulate more and more for the purpose of your life being easier and more comfortable and having more power or status or riches, all those things, right? Is that the goal of yours? Or is the goal of yours, hey, I can get more so that I can give more. I can get more so that I can do more for God's kingdom. There's nothing inherently sinful about being wealthy. But Jesus, in other passages, right, he warns that it is difficult to be really, really wealthy and have your mindset be right. It's just difficult because he knows our hearts, right? He knows our tendencies to want to just keep accumulating and want to keep being comfortable, well, if I give this away, my standard of living is going to go down and then we won't have this and we won't be able to do this. And Jesus is not saying that we need to dip below the poverty line in order to be considered humble servants. It's a mindset. It's a response to what Jesus has done for us. It's a complete 180 from how the world operates. And many times, church, and I'm not talking Delaware Grace Church, I'm talking believers, right? We forget that. And we get stuck in the rabbit race. We get sucked in. We allow ourselves to be sucked in to how the world operates. You can serve and love people well, whether or not you're rich or poor or powerful or oppressed. That's what Jesus calls us to, friends. Humble service. I'm going to have the the band come back up. And as they're coming, I want you to to bow your heads. And most importantly, as, as my friend Kutch always says, bow your hearts. Okay. I love that. I want you to bow your hearts and I want you to think Think about this message today and think about this area of your life, which really encompasses your whole life, doesn't it? If we're being honest. I'm a little serving quadrant over here and then I can do whatever I want over here. It's a mindset with your whole life, with all your possessions, everything that you have because they're all God's. So how do you view them? Do you view them as a stepping stone to earthly greatness 
Or do you view them as opportunities to serve people well? It could be material possessions. It could be your time that you have. It could be relationships that you have. Do we live a life that says, Jesus, it's great that you suffered and we appreciate it. We really do. But what's in it for me beyond what you've already done? How can I get rich? How can I get more powerful? Or do you look at Jesus and say, you suffered and you died in my place. The death that I deserved for eternity And now my life is completely abandoned to you, God. Rich or poor, powerful or oppressed, I want to serve people well. I want to reach out into the community. I want to reach out into my school, in my my workplace, in my neighborhood. Who is there that I can serve and love well and ultimately have some equity then to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ because I'm living it out I am being great by kingdom standards. And that means to just humble yourself and love and serve other people well so that they might come to understand what it means to be a child of God. And they might come to understand who sacrificed for them to give them life. And they might come to know Christ as Savior. We're going to sing a song. It's, called, it's a new one for us. It's called Who You Say I Am. I've been listening to it for several months now. I love it. But it's all about, um, sometimes we get caught up in thinking like, I am this or I am that or I want to be that. Jesus says we are children of God because of what he did for us. That's how God the Father sees us, as a child of God. How are we responding with our lives to what Jesus has done for us? Let's pray together. And then we're going to respond and sing. You can, you can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. You can come forward if you need prayer. Whether it's about the, the message this morning or about the statement I made at the beginning. If you're hurting. This is a place where we want to encourage and love people well. And that means praying for and lifting each other up in God's spirit that he might do a work in our hearts and transform us. Jesus, we love you. God, we do thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And Lord, I pray that you would press into areas of our hearts right now even as I'm praying, as we sing, as we respond, as we stand or sit or come forward, whatever we do, God, that you would press into our hearts and really help us to take an authentic look inside. Am I being great in the world's eyes or am I being great in God's kingdom? Am I serving well or am I striving to get what I can get so I can be comfortable and wealthy and powerful? 
God, would you do that work inside of us? Bring us to the point and the place. We have no choice but to say, God, I know that's your voice. I hear you speaking and I repent of these attitudes and these actions and these thoughts in my life. God, for those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ, we are in your family, sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day you return and we are taken into glory forever with you. And not only that, but you give us life to the full here on this earth, an opportunity to be used by you sinful, broken people, God, that you have redeemed and are healing and are giving us opportunity to be used for eternal purposes. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. God, I pray that our response is to offer up ourselves and say, here I am because we are your children. You have bought us. We're in your family. You you have said who we are. Jesus, help us to listen to your voice this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.